Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Daryl Brown. And it's what's interesting about the, the Alien and Sedition Acts is that was the first test of nullification with the Virginia and the Kentucky resolutions. Uh, and that is, a, that is a subject of a whole discussion. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Constitution and the federal government that was created by it and not a party to it, the, the federal government, uh, that Constitution was a contract among 13 sovereign entities. And as a voluntarily as a contract that was voluntarily entered into by 13 sovereign entities any one of those entities had the right to oppose what the what the federal government did which was as i said the creation of not a party to the constitution so one of those entities had three choices if the federal government did something it didn't like and that was nullification interposition or secession Secession, as far as I'm concerned, was and still is completely legal, as, and as anyone in a contract can do. If you don't like the way things are going, you can opt out. You may have to pay a price one way or the other. You may have to negotiate a leaving. However, if you and five friends form a corporation and five years down the line things aren't going the way you thought they should be, you can opt out, and that's what secession is nullification means you just say i'm not going to i am not going to comply with what you told me to do and of course interposition means you pass your own laws that block the effect of the law that you don't want to follow so that's a very important concept that's the concept of having 13 individual sovereign entities creating a government that was only supposed to do 18 things uh, the uh, the enumerated powers in Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution. Uh, and that's what you get. So that kind of history is very important. And the Alien Sedition and Sedition Acts were the first test of that concept. There are more times in history when there are emergency situations that cause a interruption, for lack of a better way to put it, of due process. And we see those things. Somebody in 1798 decided that the influx of immigrants from 
England and Ireland and France was an emergency. And the Alien and Sedition Acts were a response to that perception. Whether it was or whether it was not really doesn't matter. It's that there was that perception. And then we get to the, uh, we get to, as you mentioned, secession. At that point in time, there was a rebellion. And under Article 1, Section 9, rebellion or invasion allows suspension of habeas corpus, which is a very, very important due process right. Um, it, that wasn't the end. Uh, President Lincoln, of course, did that. Um, and then we get on to, um, we get on to World War I. Uh, World War I in 1917, the Espionage Act, um, which restricted the First, First Amendment rights, and it was actually upheld by the Supreme Court. Um, that was under the Wilson administration. And then, of course, in World War II, there is, there is no question that the internment of Japanese, German, and Italian-Americans, regardless of their allegiance, only their heritage was considered. And they were locked up for years. If that's not a if that's not an interference with due process, what is? Because they had no way to appeal to get out. Um, if they had someone on the outside that uh, could convince someone from the, uh, from the United States government, um, the military, or the FBI, as it, in, as it was in its infancy then, um, could make a petition to release those folks. But those were people who were inside the government. There was no redress if you just said, I'm nothing but a good American. I just want to go home, raise my family, run my business, and live. For those years, those people weren't allowed to do so, and they had no redress of their grievances. Have you seen any of the pictures of the Japanese who were interned at any of those camps? Oh, yes. That was pretty grim, and unfortunately for the history of this country, they looked pretty much like the concentration camp survivors uh, from Germany. If there is, of course, the only four-time elected president was was uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and if there is a black eye on his administration, it's that. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks who, a lot of folks who say that the the development of the atom bomb under his administration, even though Truman was the one who ordered it to be used, um, he knew what it was. He knew what it would do. But that was in defense of the nation. That nation also included those people that he had just locked up for no other reason than of who their parents were and where they came from. And there was no judge waiting to listen to these people. There was no committee there to listen to these people, to make a case about whether or not they should be released. We were at war. And due process was 
quickly thrown aside. You know, um, he did that by executive order. Yes, sir. And that's really important. You look at, at the whole question of executive orders, um, their use, when they should be used, when they are constitutional, when it is constitutional to use them. And here we see evidence, <clears throat> very specific evidence, where, a where the Constitution was cast aside, the Bill of Rights was cast aside by an executive order and upheld by the Supreme Court. How do you square that? It takes someone better than me because in my mind, I can't square that. Um, the, the use of emergency powers, and I do understand that there are emergency powers that need to be, that need to be done. Um, as I mentioned, Article 1, Section 9 talks about rebellion and invasion. Well, I would imagine that the uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor um, would have been considered to be an invasion of U.S. sovereignty, even though Hawaii was not then a state and was not officially a part of the United States of America. Um, were there Germans who were landing on the shores of North Carolina? Yes, but there were a handful, and they were caught while their feet were still wet. Um, were there Japanese spies here? Yes, I'm sure there were. Uh, history tells us that there, that there was a spy network that was available. But do you call that an invasion? I've been to, uh, I've been to Can-Am Week at uh, Myrtle Beach, and some people call that an invasion of Canadians. Um, are there, are there, is their intent hostile? No, but uh, you put a, f a few Labats in them, and uh, some of them become hostile. But it's not an invasion by any stretch of the imagination. And sometimes the government tends to look at things as the ends justify whatever means we see necessary. And, you know, history tells us on down the line that we got to September the 11th of 2001. And the horror of what happened on that day. And what was the response? October the 26th. This was fast legislation. Very fast legislation. You had the Patriot Act. Were we invaded? Was there a rebellion? Hard to say. We do know that there was an attack. But did that fall under the constitutional principles of an invasion or rebellion? Um, the Patriot Act in 2001, about six weeks after that attack, gave nearly unfettered detentions of immigrants. Um, it authorized warrantless searches. Um, they could search telephone, email, financial records without court orders. And, of course, so famously, the National Security Agency was allowed to collect mass phone data. And 
what they did with that, we don't know because they didn't have to say. Um, it goes on too. I mean, even after that, five years later, you had the Military Commission Act in 2006 um, where they suspended habeas corpus again for someone called an enemy combatant, which kind of makes sense, you would think, but somebody tell me exactly who an enemy combatant is and how do you get to be an enemy combatant. I'm sure that the folks who are currently residing in Guantanamo Bay would qualify, but who else? Who else? It's never defined which gives anytime something is not defined it is a it's a dangerous situation because if you allow the government to be able to fill in the gaps as it sees fit there is a danger to your liberty that is so true because if the incarcerating force can define the misdeeds for which you're being incarcerated and you have no redress, that is a tyranny, a very dangerous tyranny, because you end up punished and for probably for things, possibly for things you didn't do. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But no court has ever adjudicated you guilty because you did not have the due process rights that are guaranteed to you in the Bill of Rights, and yet you end up in serious trouble and with definite loss of property, any part of your personal property, unjustly and unconstitutionally. It never really, it's nothing, as I said, it's nothing new under the sun. It's been going on now for over 200 years. exceptions are carved out to what our founding fathers believed to be something that was to be held most dear. And, you know, it's gone on. It's gone on. And it's not just, it's not just in times of emergency. Um, We think back to 1970, President Nixon's crime bill, and it had a little part in it. And that little part, was called RICO. RICO was formulated, the name was formulated from Edward G. Robinson's um, character in Little Caesar, the mobster, was RICO. Um, and that is, the racketeering is what it was designed to attack. And there are provisions within RICO which seem to supersede what we consider to be due process. Um, It does allow for ex parte hearings um, or ex parte being just one side um, where the government only has to say that there's probable cause that racketeering has occurred. Not proof beyond a reasonable doubt, not even by the greater weight of the evidence, just probably is basically what it's saying, that something has happened. And they can get a temporary order of seizure and go in and take people's property without 
them having a an immediate redress of their grievances. Now, yes, it's a temporary order, and RICO does have a provision in it for a hearing about those things. However, the burden of proof almost gets shifted to them to show that they didn't do anything for them to be able to get their property back. We're talking seizing people's bank accounts, their cars, their houses. And if there may be probable cause um, to believe that they've done something wrong, whether or not they're a member of La Cosa Nostra or just some businessman. It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to imagine that the government can come in and take without some other showing other than just probable cause. That is a major uh, assault on individual liberty and property rights. RICO has long been and of course something from the 70s you're talking something that's been in existence for for 40 years pretty much. Uh, now we see it you being used often in drug-related seizures where the government will come in and seize property from everyone within a two-mile radius, uh, basically, if you're second cousin twice removed or whatever to the, to the so-called perpetrator or the suspected perpetrator, I might add. Everything gets taken. And everything that I've read about these RICO seizures, seizures is you never get your property back. Uh, what you do get back is is damage beyond repair. Uh, and so basically, whether you're guilty or not, you lose private property. It's been confiscated by the government in an unconstitutional manner. It's interesting that you, you, you mentioned RICO itself, and people don't seem to realize sometimes that there are things at the state level that work the same way. Um, I'm a North Carolina licensed attorney and have been doing um, doing controlled substance cases for the entirety of my career, whether being a prosecutor um, or providing defense. Well, in North Carolina, we have a controlled substance tax. And if a controlled substance, say marijuana, is found on your property you get a bill, a considerable bill from the North Carolina Department of Revenue. And they do give you a due process. That due process is a hearing, and you have to claim that hearing within a very, very short period of time just to get one. And what do you have to do? You have to go in and prove that it's not yours. So you have to prove a negative. You have to prove a negative. And also, that steps on an individual's Fifth Amendment rights regarding self-incrimination. What, what is an attorney would I advise somebody who gets one of these things? Well, you obviously are not going to go there and be cross-examined um, by somebody from the Department of Revenue about what might be a criminal offense you are pl- basically placing yourself in a position to where you have to give up your Fifth Amendment rights to be able to eliminate a tax bill. And yes, that tax bill attaches to your property, 
They can seize your bank accounts. They can seize your vehicles, any kind of personal property and real property that you have. And what's your redress after that time for appeal has passed? It's zero. You're stuck with that tax bill. So the the fingers of RICO reach farther into the states than one might imagine. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything going to be all right this morning.